Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rainstop Play. As England somehow find a new way to disappoint us, we'll have one more go asking how to fix the men's test malaise. Ask who, if anyone, survives after this test series. And we'll also preview whether the England women can restore some pride down under. Oh, and well done Australia as well, of course. Elsewhere, we'll discuss Virat Kohli's dramatic resignation as India's test captain. South Africa's dogged test series win. Ireland's history makers away from home and England's flying start to the Under-19 World Cup. All of this plus Zach's question of the week, our favourite tweet of the week and our first ever pitch inspection, which we'll get onto more later. But first, hello to the panel. Glenn is somewhere in between Wyoming and Iowa, I think in the great state of Nebraska, so good for him. Uh, We'll look forward to hearing from him next week. Uh, But I'm joined by Will and Zach. Will, hello. Hello, Dan. Hello, Will. Got himself off mute in time there. Zach, hello. Hello. Uh, before we get stuck into the Ashes debacle, we have a Discord channel now. I'm going to hand over to Will to explain what that is because he's had to teach me. So, Will, what is it? It's going to be a great space for everyone to chat about cricket uh, for our listeners uh, and, and fans. So how do you join it and, and what is it? <laughs> yes, thank you to our tech illiterate host. Um, <laughs> he is only 24, believe us. I know. Um, um yes we have a discord channel now it's like our own personal little forum for the rainstop play community all you have to do is make an account on the website you can either download it on your computer or get your app on your phone and you can join in and chat with us you'll get weekly reminders when the podcast comes out you join the chat and there's also a nice little convenient bar to drop a little question for us for some q a and if you pop it in there we will answer it on the podcast or live on our twitter spaces brilliant and we are being dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century with these unbelievable new forums and stuff so do join us uh, we'll tweet that out as well we do know twitter i do get twitter at rainstoppod straight into it boys we will i promise talk a lot more about Kohli and india and the rest of the cricket world but we've got to start with the ashes uh, england lose 4-0 uh, australia win the fifth test uh, we were one wicket away from the whitewash and it was it was the worst collapse they saved the worst or last somehow and that's what wound me up the most I'm not in a mood, though, Zach, to have a go at the players anymore. I'm tired of that. They're they're all quite bad, but I feel for them. I think I felt sorry for them, actually, this time. I had anger in, in the second and third test. This, I just felt sorry for them. I don't know why. I think because I saw the same thing happening over and over again. Uh, but this collapse of 10 for 58 was the pinnacle of English cricket right now, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it, it was almost funny because it was it was the first time in the series uh, about 60 without loss. It was the first time in the series our win vis had gone above 50%. First and time in the whole series. First time in the whole series because wow. obviously it starts and Winvis doesn't think we're going to win. It doesn't put it at 50-50. But when, when Leg Stump went cartwheeling on the first ball of the series, obviously that set the tone. Exactly. It flew. It would have flown towards Australia then. But yeah, and there was so much hope. It looked so easy. Crawley got another 30, you know, looked quite good. Oh, oh, Root just... I've run out of energy for it as well, mate. And I, I know Will hasn't really, you didn't really watch much of the game um, anyway. But just looking at the scorecard, even, and looking at the general chatter around the, the fallout of this series, and we sort of already had this chat at 3 0, didn't we? We had the What's Wrong with English Cricket chat, and it's coming back round again. But what were your general thoughts, Will, not watching any of this, but seeing the biggest and best batting collapse of the, of the series? Well, we did get all of our emotions out of the way very early, as you say, to the point where it feels almost weirdly muted now. We've even done the should Root and Silverwood go two weeks ago. Exactly. Uh, and now no one really cares. No, and I, I think we can tell that in our voices now. There's sort of a bit of an apathy around. I can't bother to talk about how bad Ollie Pope is at the minute. You know, I can't bother to talk about the issues at the top of the order. The only thing I'm, I'm slightly enraged by is that the selection is still a bit random and no justice for Dan Lawrence. Yeah, but uh, it'll get a go in the West Indies, hopefully. And maybe they were thinking, let's just keep this guy out of it. We've got this guy's clean still, sort of. Let's not sully him with the stench of this tour. And let's just give more to Ollie Pope. Let's cover him in 2021-22 filth. I don't know. I probably agree he should have had a go. Uh, we can talk positively, though, about the wonderful Mark Wood, who was finally rewarded for a series of good bowling uh, with those figures of six for 37, his best figures uh, in whites. Um, and it gave England a go. It gave them an option to chase down 270, which they failed at hilariously. Um, it brought his series average down to 26. I think he was comfortably England's player of the series. But Zach, it's been, it's been pointed out by a lot of people that England decided to use him most, or he bowled more balls after the Ashes were lost than before they were still contestable. And this comes down to England's selection policy, doesn't it? And the way they're using players and, the way they've run Ben Stokes into the ground after coming back from a break from cricket and the way they've not used Mark Wood and the lack of Broad and Anderson in the first test. Um, I've turned what should have been a compliment to Mark Wood about an issue with England selectors, but that's about where English test cricket is right now. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we decided to drop Mark Wood, rest Mark Wood, I should say. He was rested, he wasn't dropped. When... The series was still on the line. And then now the series isn't on the line. We've run him into the ground. And, you know, he seemed okay. That is a good thing, actually. He survived this. And normally when you see him go down in the field or fall over after his his delivered a ball, you're like, oh, gosh, is he okay? He seems all right. He seems like he's fitter now. His body's sort of adjusting to test cricket, maybe. Yeah, hopefully. I think Robinson's the worry because we kind of consistently saw throughout the series... He'd start up and you'd see deliveries below 120 and you're like, oh, wow, really? Yeah. He always, uh, his looseners were real looseners, weren't they? He's got like a glass yeah. back or something. Yeah, and apparently he uh, was a little bit injured a couple of days before this test, declared himself fit the day before and then went and played golf the day before and was kind yes, of like... Yes, he did. They, they were playing a historic, lovely course in Australia and I don't blame him, actually. If I had, if I had a bit of a niggle 
and still play test cricket, I'd have gone out there to play. So uh, I'll doff my cap to him there. But why isn't someone else given a go if he's not fully fit? I, I know. And I think there were calls again for Mahmood could have been given a go here or at any point in this series. Um, again, look into the future, perhaps. I, I don't know. But this 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 is all it, isn't it? This is England's selection policy. And, and Will, I know you didn't watch this game. We can talk a bit bigger about England here. That I personally feel that someone's head has to roll here just because of how bad this series was. Someone needs to be held accountable by losing their job. I don't, that's just the way it is, isn't it? I just need that to happen. I think England fans want that to happen. What do you think on that case? I would agree, and that feels inevitable. I guess the problem here is nobody is too high up that they should not be losing their job, if you see what I mean. If yes. you have, if, you know, if, if, if Ashley Giles is running English cricket beautifully and Silverwood and Root let him down, then you say, OK, this guy's got some power and responsibility. The captain or the coach should go. But at every level you get up to, the crisis seems to get deeper. And I do wonder if if the people at the top of the game are sort of thinking, well, if if we throw Silverwood under the bus, it just makes us look even worse. And actually, we're better off trying to stay as quiet as possible and hoping people stop talking about it. That's a great point. I really like that. And with the West Indies series coming up in a matter of days for the white ball players that have flown out there, they might be able to distract us a little bit from what's going on. Um, the test matches against the West Indies don't start until March. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, like I said, I personally want to see someone go just for the, the satisfaction of it. But maybe that won't happen. We'll see. Um, now, there's a lot of places you can go to, to find information about the, what happens next for England and what needs sorting the county championship. And there's ex-players and pundits that can probably talk about that a little bit better. But let's talk about what people are talking about, Zach, and, and look at what does need to change. Um, Jonathan Agnew today said abolish the county championship. Fair enough. Bold little piece on BBC Sport. Um, do we need to move when the championship is played? Do we need to play with a different ball? on better pitches you know what needs to happen none of us have played county cricket none of us really know what it's like but what do we think from a common sense perspective should happen to help this test team out a little bit i'm not gonna lie i think sussex playing against leicestershire in august isn't gonna make england any better well but it's a nice day out at hove it's a nice day out at hove but england aren't gonna get any better by that's doing fair that's very fair the, the ball thing is interesting. I saw it, it was Jamie Porter, Essex player, who said it's the ball. When we played with a, we played one round with a Kookaburra, the quality just went up. Why don't we play, you know, a few rounds with the Duke, a few rounds with the Kookaburra? Because it would be silly for us to play. I mean, if they still want to play test cricket with the Duke's ball in the UK, which would be weird if they moved away from that. You don't want to move fully away from the Duke's ball in county championship because then our players would be really bad at playing in England, which <laughs> not, <laughs> that would know, be even funnier. It would be funnier. Yeah, exactly. But they're already bad at playing cricket everywhere else. We need to not make them worse at playing cricket in England. So maybe a few rounds with the, with the red kookaburra. Yeah, I can't I like imagine that. the pink kookaburra ever getting a go. I can't, you know, no. day, night, day, night, county cricket. I'm not Gosh, sure. no, I can't see, I can't see that happening. But, but this is the problem, and you've got a lot of people who want to protect county cricket. A lot of people want to get rid of it. A lot of people blaming the hundred and blaming IPL focus. And there's a lot of infighting going on at the minute. So I, I as a consumer of quick cricket, can't quite see a clear path. I don't know if you're the same, Will. That for English Test cricket, what do you think might be happening? There's a lot of infighting basically, and with the head coach situation and the CEO situation, Ashley Giles' position not being clear yet, it's all a bit muddy. It is. And I, and I think that Zach is basically correct that messing about with the scheduling a bit doesn't dramatically improve the quality of play overnight. 
that being said, I think Agnew in his column is probably correct to say that not quite wasting, but using a big chunk of, of the peak English season on a short format competition that nobody else in the world plays and loses money isn't the most sensible thing in the world that you could do. Um, I also think it's interesting that this has almost stopped being a conversation within English cricket about how to improve the game as a coherent unit. And it started to become the England setup versus the county game. Joe Root, you can tell, is pretty frustrated. With, he basically straight up said, well, he, well he, I think the quote is he said, nobody, nobody's coming into the England test team because of county cricket. They're coming in despite county cricket. That was quite the statement, wasn't it? I think that was really quite damning from the England test captain, men's test captain massively damning and it does kind of shed some light on, on the selection process that we've talked about before when we've said oh nobody's banging the door down getting into the England test team with their county form well maybe that's because they just don't respect county form particularly that's a really good point I think if you look at, uh, at Crawley and his county average isn't great but he passed the eye test with a lot of coaches and he's showing that now to be fair uh, and that brings on to Alex Lees who's been rumoured to be called up for this West Indies series Zachary shaking your head not happy with this um we could have more confusion and, and weird selections going to the West Indies. But he seems to be the first name that, that's being chucked about for this great New England era. So I had a little look at the stats and there are six across the last three years. He's averaged under 40 in first class cricket, which, you know, not many people average over 40. And, and he's an op- sorry, he's, a, he's an opening batter for Durham, right? As an opening batter for Durham. Yes. And as an opening batter, former Yorkshire as well. So that's that's why he's going to get in, because <laughs> Root and Bairstow play for Yorkshire, rather than the fact that Sibley averages more than him. Jake Libby averages 10 more than him across the last three seasons. Played slightly less games, granted, but, you know, was has, has been very good for the last two years. Burns averages more than him. So I don't really know what shows us someone. I think we've seen a lot of people who average, you know, 35 to 40 in county cricket not do well. In, yeah. You know, there's lots of them as well. But perhaps he's one of these eye test players that just might be good in test cricket and maybe we ignore stats. And listen, we'll see that test match series starts in March in the West Indies. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to let you have that. How many of these eye test players have actually succeeded in test cricket so far? Uh, Crawley. He's a sorry, success, sorry, what, 264, what did... and then looks quite good and is tall and plays well off the back foot. Um, who else is an eye test? I, I don't know, to be honest, but I think if we're looking at stats, listen, we bring Ollie Pope in, who averages a million at Oval and can't get a single run in test cricket. Let's find someone who's got a bit of bottle about them. That Crawley who averages 28 in test cricket. No, he's got see, something's coming there, Zach. Something's coming. Okay, I, I, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love something to come there. I'd love I something well. to come. I would as well. Um, let's wrap up a few more headlines from that before we move on to India and Virat Kohli. Um, ben Stokes announced today he's not going to be playing in the IPL, which is, for me, probably a mixture of him focusing on test cricket, which is great, but also looking after his own mental and physical health and not overdoing himself uh, with cricket. Obviously, well done to Australia, winning 4-0. They were awesome. Uh, Cummins, awesome again. Boland, awesome again. Travis Head's innings. Seems if you bat at number five for Australia, you're going to get a ton pretty quickly, if not two. Uh, so he was fantastic after after averaging 18 for Sussex this year, by the way, in county cricket. Uh, Labuschagne 32 and Root 34, I think, with their county averages. So anyway, you can look into that as you want. So well done to Australia. Again, we, we don't want to ignore that, but I don't want to talk about them either particularly. Um, and what do we think of Sam Billings' debut? He was fun. Behind, he was a bit more you know, chirpy behind the stumps. He's smiley. 
um a nice 29 which is i think what your prediction was zach that he'll do okay but not great and then folks might come in for me it's clouded the waters of the wicketkeeper situation again though um because i think he's now a genuine candidate he passed my eye test maybe he could be another eye test player i think he passed the eye test yeah he, he looked good he was he was giving it a bit. He was very supportive of the bowlers throughout. You could hear him quite a lot on stump mic, even when he was back for a pace bowler, which often uh, yeah. you can't you can't really hear them unless unless they're up to the stumps. Hence why we hear, you know, so much more of Pant than we do of <laughs> Butler because you know we don't play a spinner ever basically. <laughs> but you know, I I mm, debatable who I'd rather hear more from. Want to hear lots from both of them to be fair. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but, Billings uh, passed the eye test. Folks, for you, for the West Indies still? Or did that give Billings uh, probably the, the gloves for the first test in March? I think folks... It, I think I think they, they both could play, to be honest. I think Billings could get a spot in, at six, and folks could, could get a go. It depends. I think it depends kind of who, who sets themselves, who kind of gets written off for a little bit because of this. You know, because, to be honest, it probably should be Dan Lawrence above... Billings probably but I don't I don't know if that's necessarily the way they see it it's it's a confusing one and we'll come on to selection as and when as the year progresses on when that test series starts but well done Australia 4-0 Ashes winners none of our predictions are right except yours Zach I think you said Pat Cummins was going to be top wicket taker so well done well done for that and I think I said hey no you said Hazelwood ow well that could be coldest take of the year well done I think I said Cummins so that's fun I would like to say I think it gets even worse because I think we both we both wanted to say Hazel because we were like he'll be able to play all five tests he never gets injured we backed him so hard to be amazing <laughs> and, and just and and not be the one that got injured and he was the one that got injured so runs I went for Root uh, Zach went for Labashane no we both went Hazelwood I crossed out Cummins uh, player of the series I went for Root um, Zach you went for Cummins he probably wasn't far off player of the series I know I know Travis Head got it in the end one more if you listen to our christmas special where we did our 2022 predictions i predicted that joe root was going to be the highest run scorer in the ipl and he's just declared he shan't be playing in the ipl so my 2020 is already ruined here on the evening of january the 17th so um yeah cold takes going all around uh, in rain stop play as normal let's move on to talk about the india versus south africa test series that's just finished over in south africa and we've got to start with the massive news that virat kohli has resigned the men's test captaincy this came as a huge shock to me will um i know you sort of teased the infighting going on at the minute between kohli and the bcci but what are your thoughts on this to start i mean for me it's a great shame for test cricket great shame to see him lose that role but were you surprised and what do you see happening going forward I was surprised and I, I'm surprised mainly by the speed of how everything's happened more so than than him being removed from the captaincy itself, because it's less than two months pretty much since he gave away the T20 captaincy after the World Cup. And it was kind of clear, as we've been teasing a few times on this podcast and haven't really had a chance to go into in detail, that there's been a, a bit of sniping between him and his camp and various people at the BCCI. The Ashwin interview did not help. He clearly has a, a, a slightly dubious relationship uh, with Kohli and the previous coach, Ravi Shastri. Help help me out with what happened in that interview. So Ashwin was unimpressed with the selection policy in the Indian team, I think it's fair to say. Right, OK. Um, going back several years. And, and one thing that his camp seemed to be annoyed by is the focus on fitness tests um, and the sort of intensive use of the yo-yo, which was always talked about, which is basically the bleep test. Yeah. Um, 
which Ashwin is no fan of. Perhaps who, who, else, who else resides on on Ashwin's side of this sort of Cody versus debate? I was going to say, uh, if, we, if we're just going on people who don't like the yo-yo test, I'd go Shimon Hetmeyer definitely doesn't like it. He's missed out on a couple of squads because of it. We don't know where he sits on the Cody Ashwin debate, though. Uh, yeah, Hardik Pandya's got in trouble for this because he essentially lied about his fitness test before the World Cup, and that's why he doesn't get picked anymore. Um, wow. But but the point being, all of this culminated in Virat voluntarily said, I don't want to do the T20 captaincy anymore. The BCCI, largely Saurav Ganguly as a secretary, said, well, we want one white ball captain, so if you're leaving T20, you have to lose ODI. They didn't tell him about that until an hour and a half before the ODI squad was released for this series. Um, so he had a phone call at about an hour's notice to tell him he was being removed as captaincy, which he didn't particularly enjoy. They both did public press conferences saying things not particularly complimentary about each other. So that's the backdrop. And then you've got on top of that a school of thought. Sunil Gavaskar sums up this. Well, he, he was interviewed and he basically said, look, this is now a very good India team. They lost an away series in South Africa. You should expect to be sacked after that which I suspect is slightly trying to downplay the politics quite considerably. As lots of people pointed out, Virat Kohli's legacy is that when he took over, it, it was a surprise for India to win overseas. And now it's a surprise when they don't. And that is probably an achievement that buys him some time, you would have thought. Yeah. So I, I suspect that the politics have a bigger role than lots of people are trying to admit. There's some interesting historical context to all of this, which is that there's the relationship between the Indian selectors and the coaching setup and the captain is very often fractured. Um, Kohli, when he first came in, which was a relatively smooth transfer from Dhoni, immediately got into arguments with Anil Kumble, who was the head coach at the time. The players essentially forced him out of that role. And I think there is a camp of people of whom Ganguly is one who have never quite forgiven that handover. Um, and it's no coincidence that this, this comes after Ravi Shastri leaves as coach and Rahul Dravid comes in. Dravid is much closer to Ganguly than Shastri was. Uh, and, and there's sort of much deeper levels of, of politics to it. A guy called Jay Shah, who is the president of the BCCI and also a politician, uh, his term runs out this year. And he's sort of trying to firm his power base within the BCCI so that he can leave, but really stay in control. All of this is going on, Dan. There gotta be <laughs> an, there's got to be an HBO drama made about this. This sounds awesome. I'd tune in every week to this. There is an awful lot going on, but the bottom line of it is, I think there's two things that I don't think are true that lots of people are saying. One being this is completely Veracruz's decision, and he just didn't want to do it anymore, and, and that's fine, and there's no drama. Pretty clearly, he spelled out at the end of last year that he wanted to give up the ODI captaincy, but Test is still his kingdom. And I also don't think it's true that this is just because he lost a Test series. Uh, I think on, on both sides, there's a lot more to it than that. This is the first time they've lost a test series since when they got beaten in New Zealand two years ago. And getting beaten in New Zealand, fair play. Like everyone gets beaten in New Zealand by New Zealand. So that from Sunil Gavaskar is just what a load of rubbish. I can't believe I missed that. What a load and, like, of rubbish. and like you said, he, he gave up the T20 captaincy and in turn the ODI captaincy not that long ago saying how much he wanted to be part of the test team and one series loss against a pretty tasty looking South Africa side which we'll come on to is, is no disgrace is it so it, this is now heavily polit- political rather 100% and everything in and around Indian cricket always is that's that's no surprise um, but having said that yeah I was shocked when you first put it in our group chat that's how I found out I hadn't even noticed it you just put all caps Coley gone and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not gone he's still around he's still fine he's just gone as captain as um, that's what I should have said but it was uh, it was shocking only because for for almost as long as I can remember, 
Indian cricket is the Kohli kingdom. And he, he felt like such the dominant personality and presence there for it to all unravel in a matter of about three months is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I, I was uh, fielding a second slip in a charity game and it, it just kind of someone shouted on from the sidelines, Kohli's gone. And I was like, what do you mean? That, like, and the whole so field surprising. fell flat and, you know, you couldn't yeah. focus on the cricket anymore. Such such big news. Did you win that match? Uh, we did, yeah. We were playing a uh, church side of mostly made of players who don't play cricket. <laughs> so it was uh, quite comfortable in the end. <laughs> we digress. Um, should we talk about the match, Will, and, and that 2-1 loss? Um, we'll start with India um, because we're on them at the minute. I mean, Cody's going to keep playing test cricket, right? He's happy to still do that. Because there's going to be a lot of changes in India's side. And let's talk Rahane and Pujara. Are we going to see either of them in Test Whites again? I think we will. I think there'll be a, a slightly more ceremonial exit process than it could be. But I don't think either of them will be first choice from this point on. Um, and quite rightly so. We, we've mentioned Shreyas on, on previous pods. Don't need to repeat that. He'll probably come straight in. SKY is still kind of flirting with that three spot. I don't quite fancy that long term. Um, but, but I think Mayank and I think Gil and I think Britby Shaw are all competitors for that same spot. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would expect those changes to happen pretty quickly now. Uh, and, and let's talk about South Africa then, Zach. They were really impressive. 2-1 win against the great India side. I mean, it, it was a kind of bizarre series in that everyone kept scoring 220-ish. But I loved it. It made for a great uh, three great matches of cricket. But this South Africa t- team looks good. Looks really, really good. I love their bowling attack with Janssen and Rabada. Um, and Gidi's looking useful. We got Maharaj, who was barely used, but is a great spinner in his own right. It feels like a really well balanced bowling attack. Um, some older batters, Dean Elgar looking good. Peterson, who had a breakout series here. This is a good South Africa side, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. They seem to kind of have the makings of a good side. I, I, I just worry about South African cricket because I feel like we would have said the same thing about four years ago mm. if we were asked. We were like, oh, yeah, South Africa. South Africa are going to come back. They're going to be really good again. And we definitely said it about their T20 side about a year ago, to be fair. And, you know, you've also got Heinrich Nokia, who was injured for this series. You add him into that bowling attack. and Exactly. Oh, it's pretty class. lethal, isn't it? it? It's quick. They're great in their home conditions. Um, I look forward to seeing them seeing them tour. They'll be touring England this year. So I think it's going to be a great matchup for both sides to closely position sides, I think, in their sort of current arc. Um, I don't really know where they go next, actually, but I, I want to see more of them. Basically, I want to see more of them. This this time next year, they will be going to Australia or, you know, 11 months time. They're going to Australia. Yeah. And doing three tests there and Australia haven't actually beaten them at home for about 15 years so it would be a big thing for Australia to actually beat South Africa and also you know another year conditions aren't too dissimilar it could be yeah. a really good series that another year of cricket under their belt as well um so yeah really impressive win for them um let's wrap up on India Will Pant Ball was class he scored a ton in, in 198 that, that was hilarious and and his sort of end to that innings was dismissive and weird and everything we love about Rishabh Pant. Somehow it still made people believe that India had a chance of winning this game just because when Pantball is happening you get sucked into it and completely <laughs> ignore that everything around him is total collapse. Um, in fact among multiple records that got broken in that innings one was that's India's lowest ever test score while somebody scored a century. Um, they only managed to make 198 runs of which over 100 were, were well 100, 100 exactly were Rishabh. Um, and yet you still had people approaching the final day with confidence, even though we put on about 20 runs fewer than we'd put on in the previous game, which South Africa chased very, very easily, as they did again this time around. Um, I have to say, big fan of Keegan Peterson. 
who only made his test debut about six months ago and was player of the series and top scorer um, in this one. Really, really classy player. He he passes the eye test. Disappointing that we didn't really make a game of it. Again, the same thing as we said previous podcast, India's just not putting on enough runs. And that became really, really alarming in that particular innings. Although Kohli, we do have to mention, because he, he looked on his way to 100 in the first innings, didn't quite get there. There was lots of hype, including from me, ahead of his <laughs> second innings, that that final day, uh, that fourth day could be the Kohli 100 brigade. And it wasn't, but he played a really good knock. He, he faced over 100 balls for about 29 runs. It doesn't look great on the scorecard. However, it was he was the only person who stuck there with Pant for any amount of time. <laughs> He really wanted it. I feel like he's so aware that he's not had a test hundred since 2019, right? Yeah, since 2019. So he looks like he's really aware of that, and that he's he's digging in really hard. Like that 29 of 120 balls, whatever it was, was hilarious. I was like, "Go on, son, go get it." And then he nicked off on eighth stump again. Well, well, yeah, exactly that, exactly that. That's what I was going to say because he was so trying not to do exactly what he'd done throughout the series. That Janssen had a bit of a number on him, the extremely tall, quick, and just was just would just put it full and just outside off stump and he would <laughs> Go just on, chase it. it. Do it. And he, did, and he did in the end. And he did. He did in the end. I think he'd been, has he been batting with Joe Denley for a while? Was that kind of 30 <laughs> from 100 balls. So, they, got a little, they got a little WhatsApp group. I think him, Dom Sibley and Joe Denley just chatting about um, how to go about their business. Yeah. Uh, it was just both the second and the third test were similar in that in the, it was South Africa took it by the, the scruff of the neck in the fourth innings. I think every team could have taken a hold of it in their respective innings and they ended up getting bowled out for 220 250 200 and then South Africa would dig in and get it so a really great test series uh looking ahead there'll be a three game ODI series between the two sides um so look out for that we like a bit of ODI cricket uh, and that's about it for India uh, and South Africa a great little series so uh looking ahead there'll be a three game ODI series between the two sides uh, you'll see the likes of Chika Darwin back and Sky and all these great Indian players we love seeing Obviously, Cody won't be captain for that, Will. Who do you think might replace him in the test captaincy before we move on? So the most logical thing, because he's the vice captain, is that Rohit Sharma just becomes the captain. On the other hand, he hasn't played a test since he became vice captain. Um, and I think it doesn't really make a huge amount of sense for three reasons. One, he's a year older than Kohli, so it's not really helping you plan for the future. Two, his fitness is an issue. And three, workload, if he's going to be captaining every format. That's interesting because up until... Kohli's decision a couple of months ago, the BCCI always insisted they only wanted one captain across all three formats. So if they want to go that route, Rohit Sharma is the only option. I just don't think it makes a huge amount of sense. And I think he's got a lot on his plate. I think that one of the reasons we didn't mention actually that there's been pressure on Kohli was because he never managed to deliver an ICC trophy. And I think they put a lot of pressure now on Rohit Sharma to go and win the T20 World Cup this year. So I think that'll be his domain. My favourite by far is Kale Rahul. It's a bit rogue because he's relatively new to the test side as a first choice opener, but I think he just makes the most sense. He's got the best combination of experience and doing the best. He was top scorer in this series, second top scorer in England. And he just, he has that vibe, as we said on the last pod, just seems like the right kind of guy. Other more rogue options. Bumrah is blatantly opening campaigning for it, which I quite enjoy. <laughs> he said, I'll do any role that they want to give me with a nice cheeky smile. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Um, somebody's put Rishab in all caps in our notes, which I adore. Oh, I thought that was you, Will. That's Zach Will. Look at no, is that Zach? What's the pitch, Zach? Give us, give us the elevator pitch, the pant captain. So, look down that batting order. You know, we're probably cancelling off the bowlers. You know, n- I don't think India are ready for a bowler captain. Otherwise, Bumrah, go for it. It would be hilarious, I think. He'd just, he'd just get angry all the time when he was bowling and, you know, review. I think, he, I think he'd bowl himself to death. Cause yeah, like, I'm, gonna, I'm doing would. this, lads, don't worry. 
Yeah. But so Rishab, how, how many other ba- ba- batters in the top seven are sure of their place and not 30 or above? KL, I agree, is probably my favourite as well. But his place is relatively sure now, but he still averages less than Mayank. So I think it's it's pretty harsh that his that he's so sure that his place does seem so sure. Then, you know, Rohit's old, Pajara and Rahane old and on the way out. Kohli, you know, he's not going to do it again, is he? <laughs> Other than that, Ashwin, you, Ashwin's on this list as well. And he's also 35. And I would kind of love a bit of Ashwin captaincy because he, he just pulls no punches and would just tell the press absolutely everything they were doing because that's what he loves to do. But Rishab, yeah. Okay, Rishab. But yeah, probably the third most likely for me in that list. I think I'm with Will with KL. Oh, Kale is a favourite, but then row it as the sensible one. But we'll see. Fascinating developments as always with India. And somebody commission a, a drama series about what's going on over there because it sounds wild. Uh, let's carry on around the grounds and update you with what else is going on in world cricket. Uh, the West Indies versus Ireland is currently is finished, sorry. And Ireland have made history, as, as I said at the top of the pod. They beat a full ICC member away from home for the first time. Uh, they have beaten Afghanistan and Zimbabwe uh, both at home. Uh, Zach, did you, did you watch a bit of this series? Um, these are two close sides now. Ireland, Ireland are coming up in the world. Good for them. Yeah, I, I watched a fair bit of the first ODI and then a fair bit of the third one as well. So I missed a, missed a lot of the middle one. But yeah, they they tried to bottle it in the last ODI, Ireland. They really tried and they didn't manage to. They, they managed to get over the line because, you know, Ireland famously like England as well they love a batting collapse and they really did collapse in the final ODI yesterday or a couple of days ago now but um you know they've got some good players new generation kind of coming through Harry Tector has been unbelievable form he scored um 50 or more in seven of his last 10 ODIs they've got uh McBride is batting at three and bowling some really good um you know off spin so very good West Indies not looking good Chief Fraud, not good, doing too well. Nicky P, uh, Will's a Chief main, <laughs> main hate figure for the whole <laughs> podcast. They've got a few people who are interestingly playing in like the Bangladesh Premier League starting on Friday, but not playing in this series, which I don't know if, how many of them would make it into the side. But, you know, there's lots of politics around West Indies cricket. I think they'll be very disappointed and... This is a great example of why the ODI Super League should be a thing, because this series wouldn't happen if it wasn't for that ODI Super League. And also now West Indies are going to struggle to qualify for the World Cup in 2023. Yeah, what's the current state of the Super League that I didn't know existed and have never checked? I'm I'm not 100% sure on the exact permutations of the table, because it feels like there hasn't really been much ODI cricket for a long time. Everyone just keeps cancelling the games. But (laughs) West Indies now need to win five of their last... I think they've got about 10 games left. And in those 10 games, they're playing, they play Netherlands for three away. So they should win those. Then they've also got Pakistan away and India away. So, so you're saying if they don't win those, they have to go through the qualification process to get into the world cup then. Right. Okay. Permutations to be had. Do look for that league that I've never heard about, but Zach keeps mentioning, and I'm going to make a concerted effort to think about it more often. Zach, thank you for that. Right, final bit of Around the Grounds uh, before we wrap up part one is the Under-19s World Cup. Uh, Zach, started a few days ago. We're, we're a few games in now. Give us the headlines from the opening exchanges. Yeah, so it's been, it's been a pretty good start. No shocks yet. 
Scotland got pretty close to Sri Lanka, but Sri Lanka came through in the end, bowling them out. West Indies got beaten quite comfortably and were poor against Australia, but have now beaten Scotland. The, the scheduling's a bit weird. It's, it's, they've done a little bit. I was chatting to Glenn about this the other day. They've done what the T20 World Cup did a little bit, where they've, there were a lot of the good games were first up. So Australia have played, are currently playing Sri Lanka. The game will have finished by, by the time you're hearing this, and they've played West Indies. They now play Scotland. India played South Africa, and that was a really close game. But now India have to play Uganda, which obviously is a great story, and another associate nation. So it's kind of like, you know... It's, yeah, it's, very it's, similar it's to that World done. Cup finishing on a bit of a damp squib, as it were. Yeah, in- England were really good in their first game. Um, they had they had Bangladesh 8 for 4 at one point and ended up bowling them out for 97. Uh, Joshua Boyden t- took 4 for 16 in that. One player who who get him in the test team. Yeah, one one player who actually we mentioned a, a lot on the preview pod was a guy called Dunith uh, Wellalage. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Please me. correct me. Uh, but he took 25 wickets last year in youth ODIs. Far clear of anyone else. And he's just continued that form in this, taking 5 for 27 in both games so far. Good work the on the preview then. You and Ronan yeah. had your fingers on the pulse. You can still go check out that preview pod um, with Ronan Alexander from Scouting Cricket. That was a great little preview. So go look out for that. Uh, that'll about do for part one when we come back we'll have a pitch inspection and we'll preview the women's ashes okay uh welcome back uh we're starting a new feature here on rain stop play now it's called pitch inspection we often did this previously where, where we'd reference articles and we go oh, this is a great read this is a great read Pitch inspection is a little space, 10 minutes or so. We're going to chat about our favourite or what we thought was the most important article from the week. We'll link it in the description so you can go read it yourself. I'd recommend reading it, pausing the pod now, go and read it. It's like three minutes long. Come back and we'll talk about it. Uh, so, Will, it's from Mark Ramprakash in The Guardian, actually, chatting about um, the DCMS report on racism in cricket. We obviously had our Yorkshire special pod, which you can go back and listen to it, examining this issue. And we said we'd come back and chat about it a little bit. So we're going to chat about this piece and a little bit more about Azim Rafiq, who was back in the news this week with uh, the DCMS report coming out. So we'll chat about this article, starting with with Mark Ramprakash's article, and then we'll we'll sort of go into a little bit more what happened this week. Yeah, so people will remember that one of the key moments of of the whole scandal has been Azim Rafiq giving testimony in Parliament. That was to the DCMS Parliament Committee. They've gone away, collated all of their evidence from those submissions and released a report. Now, the important thing to remember, first of all, on this is that they don't really have any power. So these are all just kind of recommendations that that the MPs think would be quite good ideas. They're not backed by the government. They don't have any force, but they have produced what most people seem to think is quite a good uh, set of recommendations and quite um, concrete and productive recommendations. So in his article, Mark says that he he welcomes this report and he thinks um They've come out with some things which 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 are the beginnings of actual progress that we talked about. So one of those being the committee essentially said that the ECB and Yorkshire themselves should come back to and report to the committee and to government quarterly. So four times a year on their progress towards solving all of these issues. And that if they don't do that, 
in a satisfactory way, then there should be a threat to withhold funding from those organisations from central government. Um, and Mark Ramprakash says that's a that's a really good idea. That's enough time to make a positive impact, but not so much that anybody feels they have time to waste. So if they said come back in a year, that's probably too long. Yorkshire might lose momentum with it. They've said come back every three months. And Azim, by the way, also said that he's encouraged um, by that report. But Mark's article is very interesting, and I encourage everybody to go away and read it, because what he says is that lots of people, including us, pointed out at the time that this was a largely white committee of MPs trying to sort out racism in cricket when lots of people would look at politics and say that that area of business is no cleaner. And Mark Ramprakash points out that most members of the committee who wrote this report are members of the governing Conservative Party which has its own less than stellar record on race issues, including just recently being responsible for the Windrush scandal, um, which is something that, that Mark's family have been affected by. And so he says that although Julian Knight, who's the chair of the committee, which has done the report, he says Julian Knight comes across as sincere in his criticism of what's gone on in cricket. But what are his qualifications for sitting in judgment over the commitment of others to the reduction of racial injustice in this country? He says, I feel there's an irony to him leading this committee at this time. And perhaps his party should also demonstrate their own commitment to the fight against racism. And I think that's a really important point. Massively. And I thought I know when we brought it up, it was a bit awkward. And I don't think I think one of the panel referenced it themselves. I can't remember if they did. There was also a frustrating amount of lack of cricket and sporting knowledge on that panel, which I think was a little bit awkward. Um, but this is really interesting piece. And I, I thought Julian Knight did a good job of holding the ECB and everyone who was there in Yorkshire to account on the day. I think he was genuinely quite passionate about the issue. But this is a I was fascinated to see Mark Rampakash, who was very much very recently involved with England, actually come out and bluntly say this. It was very interesting to read. Yeah, and I think it's it's important because lots of senior figures have not really said as, as much as they might, partly because current players and coaches are always media trained to be very professional and not really weighed into anything that could be called politics because then they get in trouble. Um, and I think it's important for, for for somebody with the stature and position that Mark has to come out and be very explicit about the reality that tackling racism is not sort of a, a, a neat tick box exercise that is divorced from society and politics more broadly. You have to have a whole society wide program for, for changing the country if you're going to tackle any of these issues. And on the report, then, it was good to see that Azim himself, as you mentioned, um, is encouraged by it. Um, I know Julian Knight did also threaten to to sort of put a, another check in place for the ECB if this gets worse and have sort of a, a an oversight committee or something to look over them even more closely if this doesn't get followed. But broadly, it seems positive. It's happened in a fairly timely manner. Now, I can't remember when the, when the hearing was because Christmas has happened and time has been warped by the pandemic. But that was, you know, six weeks ago, maybe that happened. Uh, early November. Oh gosh. Okay, time has been warped. Anyway, you know, three months ish isn't too bad. Two and a bit months. Um, so it's positive to see this. Is whether we'll see the change or not. I think, uh, and then actually, as you said, these guys don't have any actual power. It's all suggestions, but it's felt positive at least. It has felt positive, and, and you're right that the one slight criticism that Azim Rafiq has made, or the, the one thing that he's pointed out is lacking, is there's still nothing. There's no detail on an independent regulator. So Azim says. It's a massive conflict of interest that the ECB is charged with regulating the game and also promoting it. And he thinks that is a big crux of the issue. And nothing in, in this report or the work so far has been done addresses that problem. Everybody's kind of holding out to see the success of the ECB's own reforms, which they announced. That actually probably was about six months ago. Uh, six months <laughs> yeah. ago. Um, the ECB set out all of their responses to how they're going to fix this problem. And, and I think everybody's kind of waiting and seeing whether those will work or not. 
yeah, this independent regular would be a last precaution, a last step, as it were, if the ECB can't get their their stuff together, as it were. Um, uh, quickly, while we're here with Yorkshire and the racism issue, we had uh, Ryan Sidebottom conduct one of the worst interviews I think I've ever seen on, on Sky Sports News recently. I'm a bit concerned, really, about what's happening there, in that the same problems are happening, and the man they've hired to coach them on the short term says we should brush it under the carpet. And I know he's come out and apologised for it, but what it suggested to me is the fact that he went on television, hadn't been either media trained or clearly doesn't actually subscribe to the beliefs that we need to see in Yorkshire. And it's the same problem again. The fact that that's his initial response to that before having to come out and apologise suggests that isn't the right uh, uh, option for Yorkshire to go down that route. I thought the, the thing that stood out for me, I saw someone make this point on Twitter, was that Yorkshire have decided to employ someone to coach the team who was in the dressing room you know, when, when when racism occurred. In what world would they think that was the right move? And then if for him to come out and not have a response prepared for the most obvious question. Before yeah. I watched that, it, it, oh, it's it, like he, he didn't know that he like he didn't know that question was coming. I was like, mate, you realise the job you've just taken at the club you've just taken at and what just happened over the past few weeks. Clearly not. Uh, it's quite worrying. It's just he's just really happy to have the job. <laughs> yeah. was, he's just seen ignored seen it, all of society. <laughs> everything that's happened. It. He's just like it's just rocked up. He's just been living under a rock for three years. He's come out and he's like, someone's been like, oh, Yorkshire head coach job, do you fancy it? And he's like, yeah, why not? And then, and then Sky emailed him. He's like, oh, I'm going to be on telly. And then he just forgotten everything that was happening. <laughs> what a mess, eh? What a mess. Anyway, um, go and check out that piece. Um, there was another piece in Sky about Azim's reaction to it as well. Uh, and that was our pitch inspection, the first pitch inspection. If you find an article you thought was particularly interesting in a week, do get in touch with us on Twitter at rain.stoppod. You can DM us and uh, maybe you'll be our pitch inspection for that week. Um, but moving on, uh, we must preview another big series coming up. It's the Women's Ashes. Can the England women restore some pride down under? Let's hope so. Um, England are looking to overturn a pretty poor record. They've not won an Ashes in Australia for eight years. So similar parallels with the men's team. Uh, it starts on Thursday, the 20th, uh, with a T20 uh, 8.10 in the morning in the UK. Uh, the schedule was adjusted to fit in with quarantine requirements for entering New Zealand for the World Cup. Uh, so the Ashes will now start with three T20 matches, followed by one test match and then three one day internationals. Uh, it's the multi-format contest I think we've become used to now in this Ashes, in this women's Ashes. Uh, four points are awarded for a victory in the Test match and two are available for victories in the ODIs and T20s. Um, it's something, I don't want to talk, I know we talk about the women here, but it's something that people have suggested the men's series could do quite easily. And I, and I like this format quite a lot. Um, but Zach, do you, want to, do you want to talk about the hosts to start, the Australian side? What are they looking like? England not winning down there for eight years. Is it going to happen this time or Australia too good? I think so like in in men's cricket there's a bit of a gap between I'm not even going to call them, not the big 3 the big 2 Australia and India and kind of the rest or the big 3 we'll call it the big 3 because we'll just get rid of England and put New Zealand in there and the rest in in women's cricket it's a gap between Australia and the rest India and England are you know on on similarish levels and been, you know there's a really good series between them last year but Australia are far and away the best and a lot of that comes down to the structure they have the, the WBBL is into, I think it was its sixth year this year, fully professional. So they have, you know, a structure there, which, you know, the Women's 100 has gone some way to sort out, but it's one year in. So we're not going to be seeing the benefits of that. So this squad is very strong. Current T20 World Cup champions, 
they're probably favourites to win the ODI World Cup coming up in March. And, you know, the big stars will be there. Elise Perry, apparently her bowling has dropped off recently in white ball cricket as she's tried to work on her red ball bowling. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Megan Shute is returning back for the first time since becoming a mother five months ago. It was a really good piece in Code, the Australian uh, subscription news outlet on her. Uh, one interesting thing they've done is they've they had two spinners out with injury, uh, Sophie Molyneux and Georgia Wareham, which has meant they've picked Alana King to in, in place as a spinner. She won the BBL the with the Scorchers last year now most recent edition and took 16 wickets at 18 with an economy of less than six but has because of obviously I, you know i praise the domestic structure in australia but also they don't have any domestic red bull cricket we have a very limited about in this amount in this country but it's not professional and they don't have any so she's never played red bull cricket but could easily be in line for her debut uh on the i think the 27th is when the test starts she was picked above one of my favourite cricketers, which is a bit of a shame. Amanda J. Wellington, who took 23 wickets in the WBBL most recently, and including five for eight in one of the qualifiers. And during that game, she was also the person who was like on the mic and was just having a great laugh, you know, having to go on the mic. I mean, it's quite a nice time to go on the mic, I suppose, after you've just taken three wickets in an over. <laughs> As opposed to being talked around for like 25 and they go, how, how was that? You're like, oh, could you, could you not right now? Yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating that this is coming so close to a World Cup. And I know that Heather Knight's been talking about this, Will. Uh, and what do you prioritise? This is two major events in the women's calendar coming back to back for England. Do they almost see the Ashes as like a little, like, if they can get a bit of form going? They don't have, it doesn't matter if they win the Ashes or not. They can get a bit of form going to that World Cup. I think a World Cup in English hands would be bigger than a win at Down Under. I don't know. They're quite closely contested things, as it were. Yeah, and it's interesting to come on the back of the months that we've had with England going towards the World Cup where all the discourse was about we're building towards the Ashes because here you seem to have a completely opposite situation. Yeah. Um, the head coach came out and said, um, yeah, we'll, we'll all be thinking about the World Cup throughout the Ashes. And it's important. The scheduling of this is very, very strange because it was supposed to be the test match first. Then you do all of the short formats. And because they have to fly to New Zealand two days after the end of the Ashes and then do 10 days quarantine, in order to be there in time for the World Cup. That's why we're having to start with the short format stuff. So it's all come a lot earlier than it was supposed to be. Um, as a result of which, the England team haven't really trained. So, so as you said, the captain Heather Knight came out. She's, she's called it comical and a pretty average build-up. And, <laughs> and even the head coach said their side is pretty rusty. So this is all boding very, very well. We know what happened last time an England side went down under, had very little preparation. I think that happened quite recently and it wasn't very good. Well, this is it. It does all sound of a piece with what we've seen quite recently. So so Heather Knight said two weeks before they left England, they hadn't even done any team training. They were all still training as individuals within the household. So that doesn't sound like ideal build up. Having said that, maybe there are signs of optimism. Could this England side win down there for the first time in eight years? Well, good signs. It's a pretty experienced team now. Lots of the names that people will recognise, um, obviously Heather Knight and Nat Siver, who both scored half centuries in an intra-squad warm-up game this week. So it's a pretty settled England eleven. The bowling unit is pretty secure. Anya Shrubsoul, Sophie Eccleston, Nat Siver, they handle a lot of the bowling as a three. So it's a more experienced lineup than England have said before, which has had a lot of the times people who just haven't played any Red Bull games before. Um, 
other signs of life, a few quite good young players to watch out for. So one who is going in the squad is 20-year-old Charlie Dean, who took the three three for 36 in her second game for England against New Zealand last summer. Um, she plays with Heather Knight for London Spirits. They seem like they get along very well. Heather Knight's been talking her up a lot. Um, and then the other sign of optimism is in that intra-squad game, it was, it was the England side, which is pretty settled, against England A. So a few players who aren't in the squad for the Ashes, but are ones to look out for for the future. So that included... Alice Capsey, who people will remember from the 100. She's still only 17, but scored 44 playing for England A. Uh, Lauren Bell, who's 21, played for Southern Brave in the 100. Also bowled really well, took three wickets. Um, and they've got three really young spinners. I always forget, Sophie Eccleston's only 23. I feel like she's been around she, forever. Oh, she's been around. She's like, if I had to name three English women cricketers, she'd be right there as the top three for me. She's been around for ages. Exactly. And she has played two test matches. So so she's one of the more experienced in the squad. But they've also got Sarah Glenn, who's 22, and Maddie Villiers, who's 23. So that's a really good sort of young spinning unit that, that I reckon the men's team would be quite jealous of. <laughs> Definitely. I think we need to try and get an away series in India with that, with that spin attack. Mm. Get that organised. A little test match in India with that. That wouldn't go. That would go down well. That would be lovely. But the BCCI will never figure out no. women's cricket, unfortunately. No, unfortunately, no, no. They're 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 a they're a way they're a way away from that. Um, so the Test match starts on the 27th. I know I'll look forward to that the most because I just I enjoy Test match cricket. Let's hope there's a result and we don't have to do five day women's Test discourse because that has become quite dull. So let's hope either they decide to give them five days in the future or we get a result. Either way. One interesting thing that is happening in this series is they've got DRS. Which is oh, excellent. Is that, first, the, is that across the whole series? As far as I'm aware, yes, it's across the whole series. And it's the uh, first time for a women's bilateral series in Australia. Because it was controversially kind of, it was meant to be there for the India series. What was played in October time, September, October. You know, like you said, Dan, Christmas has happened. So no idea when things happen before then. <laughs> but they had to change venues because of bubbles and, you know, stuff. And then it was not, they didn't have DRS and it was a bit, you know, it's a bit questionable that everyone was saying kind of this was a men's game, they'd have made it happen. But it was uh, borders and things, state borders stopping people. So, you know, we've spoken enough about state borders and quarantine in Australia. But yeah, so good. They've got DRS. That's cool. That's cool. You know, it would be nice if they could have five day tests. I think it's nice the way they're doing it with the tests is in the middle. So it starts with the T20s. But they've moved it. They moved it forward slightly by a week. I think it was meant to go test. Mm-hmm then yeah i think everything's moved forward by a week in in sort of a block moving and they've then shuffled how it would normally go yeah i think it's interesting there's a test match in the middle they have to slightly change their mindset their techniques and stuff as opposed Mm. to going red ball into white ball yeah yeah i i like it i i think it makes sense though because obviously the odi world cup is straight afterwards so having the odis at the end makes the most sense that's a good point Pretty quick turnaround for when the World Cup starts on, on March the 4th, uh, which, again, we can be very excited for in New Zealand. Um, so that will wrap up that preview. Good luck to the women. We'll be following it closely. It's on BT Sport if you live in the UK and subscribe to that channel. Um, right then, let's wrap it up, boys. Um, Zach, your quick question, firstly, and I know everyone's been waiting all week uh, to hear what the answer was to last week's question. So remind us of last week's question and give us the answer, because I know we suggested Carl Jameson, which was correct. But I've been thinking all week and I haven't actually been able to come up with anybody. So remind us of the question and what's the answer from last week's quick question. So uh, new pod favourite Marco Janssen has the fourth highest average release position of any pace bowler who is currently playing test cricket. 
can you name the three men with higher average release positions? And Kyle Jamison was correct on one. Ollie Robinson was another one because even though he bowls at about you know that's six crazy. Miles that's an hour, crazy. That's Ollie Robinson. I don't realize mm. he was that tall. He's got big arms and tall. Must, he, must have he's about arms. six five, so I would say he's probably actually the smallest person on this list. But he he's just really straight, isn't he? Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, you don't think about that. It comes into it where it's actually yeah. getting released from. Who's our final tall releaser? I'm surprised no one thought about this, particularly after some time. Jason Holder famously oh, extremely tall yeah. extremely tall he's also very straight from his release point as well yeah. isn't he very good well if you got those right and we're waiting all week to hear let us know at, on twitter at rainstoppod we'd love to hear from you uh zach this week's quick question and then we'll be gone to go and think about it for a week so it's topical this one good uh, we like that pujara and rahane have struggled in recent times oh. well documented <laughs> Of players to play more than 10 test matches from the start of 2020, only two average less than these two people. Who are they? Wow, that's a great Since question. 10 test matches from the start of 2020. 10, so you've got ten two test years. matches minimum. Start of 2020. Since the start of 2020, which had a I, bit of a pandemic at the start. Because I, I tried to look from the start of 2021, and it's just really sad because obviously the only teams to have played more than 10 test matches since the start of 2021 are England and India. So it's just loads of England players. Yeah. In, <laughs> so you move, move the goalpost a bit. And, and I'll give you a clue. Looking at the start of 2020 reminded me England were quite good in 2020. Cause we beat South Africa this no time. English players. We were having a great time. It's so no English players. No English players. How many, how many do you say, Don? Yeah, how many do you have to name? Two. Two okay. players who averaged less than... I, so Pujara I want to say aver- Tim Payne, but he hasn't played 10 tests, has he? Mm-mm, that's no. the problem. Australia but, haven't like, played Working 10 out tests. who's played 10 test matches is going to be the hardest bit, I think. I mean, Sri Lanka have a couple. They have played the West Indies as well. Yeah, I'm feeling like... There's Bangladesh have oh, played uh, a few. Roston Chase. Oh, boom. Nice one. Right, let's not give the second one away so listeners can enjoy that. Roston Chase has played, since the start of 2020, played 11 matches. He scored 314 runs at an average of 15.7. Oh. So what are the averages for Rahane and Pujara then before we leave? Pujara averages 26.2 in the last two years and Rahane averages 25.6. The person who averages less than them averages 23. It's not Virat Kohli, is it? Sorry, sorry, everyone. I had to get one last dig in, one last dig in there. Okay, well, we've given you Ross and Chase. Great shout, Will, to pluck that one out of thin air. Um, we'll be back with the answer for that at the end of next week's pod, of course. Uh, for now, thank you very much for listening, Will. See you later. See you later. Zach, goodbye. Bye. And Glenn, wherever you are in Nebraska, hope you're listening. Enjoy. We'll be back next week. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.